0: If you have your Bibles or your phone apps open to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, we're going to do a lot of reading today in the Gospel of John. While y'all are opening, uh, I just want to mention something. Some of you guys have uh, texted me or you may have seen this on Instagram or you may have just been asking about that. There's a church in town called Celebration Church. Celebration is a church out of Jacksonville. It's playing at a campus here in Orlando and yesterday Celebration launched their sub-30 young adult ministry that's going to be meeting uh, at downtown baptist about once a month and they had just from what i'm told just an incredible night of worship and of preaching and some people got saved and it was really awesome and i bring that up because some of you have asked or kind of inquired like what is our position towards celebration like because you know we do young adult ministry we have college and we have you know young professionals and is that like competition and are we nervous and like were you like like outside like Westboro Baptist Church like protesting celebration or like is there bad beef is there gang warfare and I want to make sure I'm really clear there is actually not any of that in fact there is the opposite we understand that celebration is not our competition they're brothers and sisters in Christ right and they're going to help us and help all the Christians in town who are trying to reach the 200,000 college students and the 800,000 young professionals who live in Orlando. I could not have been more excited, and our staff could not have been more excited about another uh, church body trying to reach young adults in Orlando. And so I just want to make sure I say that up front so that there's, there's no misconception here. Like, we are thrilled that other churches catch the vision of trying to reach the 1 million young adults who are living in Orlando. We can't do it all. We're just not gonna be able to. Like not everybody's gonna wanna come be part of First Orlando's gathering. We need churches like Celebration in town, trying to help out uh, in that monumental God-sized effort. And let me say this, as someone who's been a part of launching new things, it's incredibly difficult to launch new things. When we launched uh, some of our initiatives at UCF, anyone who's been a part of that, you guys remember the first time we did this it's incredibly challenging uh jake logan who's in here has launched a wednesday night life group to ucf if, if you're at ucf and you want to be a part of one jake's right here right it, it's incredibly challenging right jake to get a life group off the ground when alec was doing stuff at valencia trying to get stuff going it was incredibly difficult when Britt was trying to launch disney it was incredibly difficult to get off the ground there's just all the stuff that comes against you and you're not sure if people are going to show up and you stress and you pray so Hey, we are joining with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to reach young adults. And so I want to invite us as we get going here today to just pray for our sisters and our brothers at Celebration that God would give them favor in reaching young adults in Orlando. So would you join me in that prayer right now as we just jump in? We'll pray and ask God to do that and bless our time together. Would you join me? Jesus, I thank you for the gospel. Uh, I thank you that you lavishly love us and that there's nothing we could ever do Uh, to see that go away we can never do anything so horrible you're going to take that away from us and there's nothing that we're ever going to do that's so amazing you're going to love us more that you just love us perfectly and completely in Jesus and I thank you Jesus that there is another group of men and women who love you who want to get that message out to the rest of Orlando and that's our brothers and sisters at Celebration Church and so Jesus we bless them And we honor them and we support them and we pray for them that, God, you'd give them favor at reaching the one million young adults who live in the greater Orlando area for your glory and for their good and for the good of the people they're going to reach in Orlando. We just agree in prayer for that today. And, Lord, we just thank you for the Brunos coming to minister to us today. We thank you for that special worship time we've had before and that we anticipate after this. And, Lord, we also just thank you for your word and how you're going to teach us more about who you are. And so, with that in mind, we give you all glory and praise, and we uh, put ourselves in a teachable position here this evening. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The rallying cry of this message series as we transition in has been this, that for most of us in this room, when we talk about God, we understand that concept basically, and we can see the right uh, things. We, we can see the right things. We can tell God's over there, but it's a little fuzzy We don't always see it rightly So we can see the right things, we don't always see it rightly And the purpose of a study of God is to help us just a little bit Correct some of our lenses so that we can see God more and more clearly in this life So that we could follow Him a little more closely And so, so far what we've done is we looked at God great and good Uh, His attributes of greatness, the fact that He's holy The fact that He's sovereign, He's all-powerful We've looked at His attributes of goodness, the fact that He loves us right that he's really good and kind and and relates with us and today we're going to wrap up this series by looking at this this final aspect of god's goodness his love and his compassion we're going to look at the idea of god being gracious or the idea that god has grace on us grace is a pretty common term in uh, the english-speaking language in fact my daughter's name is grace we use grace all the time Uh, as alec mentioned Uh, When he taught a couple weeks ago that sometimes we use this word so much it kind of loses meaning. We're like, oh yeah, like we pray for grace and grace and grace, right? And so I think for some of us who are here today, we're familiar with the term grace, but we're not really sure what specifically it means. And more importantly, the significant impact that it has on our lives as we receive and act and operate in God's grace. So our aim today is to come to understand that term a little more clearly. And to do that, I want us to read from... uh, lengthy portions of john's gospel starting in chapter 8 and beginning in verse 2 so if you'll read with me i'm reading from the english standard version early in the morning he jesus came again to the temple okay so he sets the scene for us it's early you know when jesus leads his discipleship group it's at six in the morning right so it's early stopped by starbucks went to the temple the main gathering place that people would have gathered and talked about truthful ideas, but it's early, early in the morning. Probably the sun is not up yet, okay? There's maybe a crisp, cool coolness in the air like it is in Orlando right now. So you guys get the picture? It's early in the morning. He's at temple for D group. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, "'Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery.'" Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? Now, let's just, let's just pause right here and think about this. It's early in the morning, right? So, just work backwards. How do you suppose a group of religious teachers have caught a woman in the very act of adultery, and it's early in the morning? Okay? At worst—I'm sorry, at best—at best, she was doing the walk of shame, right? And they were like, there's a woman doing the walk of shame. Let's go pick her up, right? Because that's never shady, right? I mean, that's at best. At worst, uh, probably what's going on is this was a setup. Uh, They paid someone to go to a woman um, and uh, kind of paid this person to go and to sleep with her and right as they're in the process of sleeping together, a very intimate and awkward act for people to come in on, by the way. Um, These guys like pulled the curtain back. Ha, caught you. Take a picture, Instagram. We got it, right? And now they're bringing her to jesus now you guys laugh and it's a little bit awkward and you're laughing for a very important reason this this is embarrassing can you imagine what's going on in this woman's mind as they put a robe around her and they're kind of scooping her up and walking her in and of all places they're bringing her to a discipleship group at six in the morning at a temple right they didn't stop for coffee this is not this is not the best thing in the world for this woman this is embarrassing there's a lot of shame going on and In addition to all that, you've got this group of bros like, we caught her, Jesus. What are you going to do? Right? And they're wanting him to have some kind of erudite conversation about the law. This is an awkward, awkward situation. I want you to imagine that you're at an early discipleship group in the morning, maybe at the IHOP on John Young over here or wherever you meet for your discipleship group, right? And, um, you know, a bunch of bros bring in a woman. They're like, yeah, we caught her having sex with someone who wasn't her husband. Like, How do you respond to that, right? There's no good follow-up. That's the answer. There's no good way to respond to this. It's awkward. You're you're sitting there with your plate of eggs, and you're like, okay, right? I guess we're having this conversation now. Like, there's just just no good way to deal with this. This is an incredibly embarrassing, awkward situation. And watch how Jesus responds. Verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 6. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Okay? Here's the issue. Uh, These guys are bringing them in. Jesus looks at it and is thinking, how do I respond? And he realizes in that moment, oh, these guys don't have her welfare in mind. They don't have my welfare in mind. They don't have the welfare of the man who is sleeping with her in mind. These guys are trying to make a point, right? Just as a sidebar, this isn't in your sermon. This is just free, extra, filler sermon material. You have two options in life, right? Really, when you're having these conversations, you can either make a point or you can make a difference, right? So one of the reasons we say you can always say more louder later, right, is because oftentimes we want to say stuff to make a point. Making a point, everyone goes, okay, we made your point. Our aim, I think, is to make a difference. These guys aren't trying to make a difference. They're not trying to make the world a better place. These guys are trying to make a religious Point. And Jesus just knows these guys are being jerks right now. Right? You ever know anybody who just tries to make religious points with you? Like you show up at church and it's like, you know, it's 10.05 at master class instead of ten and you sit down at the table and everyone's like, you know, coffee started at 9.45, right? And they're like, okay, yeah, I get your point. I'm a little late, okay? What does me being on time have to do with what's going on here, right? Does you know, the people who try—this is what's going on. Jesus recognizes this. And I want to stop right here just so that you guys can, can be aware of what's going on here because it brings up the first concept I want you just to keep in mind as we're trying to march our way to understanding what grace is. And it's this. The first concept I want you to understand is retribution. Retribution. On your bulletins, you can fill this in. Retribution is when you get what you deserve, You do something bad you get what you deserve okay there's a consequence an equal and opposite reaction that comes at you this is the approach of law right if I break this rule here's the consequence this is how law is applied you know you go you speed and the speed limit right is 70 and you're doing 140 right there is there's generally a set table that says oh 140 here's your fine right Or if you're doing, you know, a thousand, they're like, we're just taking a car away from you. I don't know how you're getting it to a thousand. Like, there's just, you have superhuman powers. The world's not safe. This is an X-Men type scenario. We're just, we're putting you in a camp. This is done, right? But whatever you do, there's some kind of reaction. There's some kind of uh, application. You get what you deserve. This is retributive justice. This is the way a lot of the world works. And so in the Old Testament, you tend to see this idea, an eye for an eye. You guys heard this? An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Meaning, if someone... And I don't know how this happened. Apparently, in the Old Testament, it was so common that people's eyes would be gouged out. They had to come up with a law like, oh, man, what are we going to do for people whose eyes are gouged out? Why don't you have them gouge out the other person's eyes? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, let's do this, right? And it's so common. There's this eye gouging that, you know, you're seeing all this eye gouging happening in response. So they came up with this this phrase, an eye for an eye. Well, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, who said a lot of really curious things, I think said something maybe true about this idea of retributive justice. And he says this. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, right? If everybody is giving an eye for an eye, if everybody's really practicing retributive justice here and retribution, eventually you're just going to have this blind world because everyone's going to offend everybody, and there's going to be offense coming back, and it's just going to be this downward spiral that's happening over and over again. And what I, what I think Jesus is thinking about, even in that moment, is that if he responds uh, with retribution towards these guys— If he responds with retribution towards this woman, it's just going to continue this bad downward spiral into chaos. And Jesus knows, because he's God, that this is not the way he should respond in this moment. And I want you guys just to think about that, because as believers, you're in these moments where you have a roommate, and, you know, they come in, and you're watching TV, and you get up to go to the restroom, and you come back, and they flipped it over to whatever they want to watch on Netflix, and you're like, uh, I was just watching, I was watching something. Can we go back to that? And they're like, nah. Nah. I want to watch Netflix now, and you're like, uh, and you have that moment, you're like, ooh, let me gouge out their eye, right, which is what I think the, the, is the Christian way to think through this, you're like, I want to gouge out their eye, I think that's appropriate, then they can't see Netflix, and you know, it's all, it's all back on my show, right, okay, I can turn on Gilmore Girls, and we can be fine, right, that's, that's how you operate, so you're thinking through these things, but I want you to just, I just want you to notice how Jesus responds, because Jesus does not respond with retribution here, although he could, here's what he does, In verse six it continues jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground and as they continued to ask him he stood up and said to them let him or her let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her now this is really brilliant he goes oh you guys want retribution here which in the law it says if a woman is caught in adultery she should be stoned to death and so he goes this is what you guys want so here i'll just kind of tell you the answer you want like obviously we should stone her so here's the order we're going to go in the person who's without sin gets to throw first okay person who's without sin gets to throw first retribution can happen but only if there's no sin in your life because if there's sin in your life then we need to talk about the other consequences that go along we've got to address your sin before we can address her sin so if you're perfect you go by the way the only person who's there who's perfect is jesus he's the only person who can pick up a stone so he's drawn in the ground. He's like, eh, if you're perfect, you can pick up a stone. And no one does. And so he's like, it could be me here, right? This is, this is what he say It's really a brilliant way to respond. Verse 9, or uh, verse 8. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. That's a really interesting phrase, one by one. You get the idea that he says it, and he starts, you know, drawing on the sand again, and it takes them one at a time to kind of recognize what's going on. They're like... He who's without sin throw the first stone. Click 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 click. Oh, that's not me. And they walks off, and the whole crew is like, Why is he walking off? Did he not just hear Jesus? We get to like throw stones. Click 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 ding. Oh, that's not me either. Okay. And then the next one's like, Where'd they go? It's like the 10 in the bed, and the little one said, Roll over. So they all rolled over, and one fell out. This is what's going on here, right? Except it's with stones and adultery early in the morning at the temple in a d-group. That's what's going on. So one at a time, they're kind of finally, these, these brilliant men are finally getting the clue. Oh, it's not me. I can't throw a stone. I got to go over here now. I guess I'm done because I sinned this morning, right? And so they all walk away. And finally, it's just Jesus and her. And here's what you get. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said this, and this is important neither do I condemn you. And at this point, we see the second option that a lot of us have whenever we face these moral dilemmas. And this option is not called retribution, this option is called mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And this is the approach of religion. See, retribution says you get what you deserve, mercy says you don't get what you deserve meaning you've done something you are worthy of some type of punishment and mercy says no 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 no, i'm going to remove that punishment you still deserve it i'm just not giving it to you right now this is mercy and jesus is acting mercifully towards her she deserves to be stoned he knows this she deserves to have a a strong conversation where he goes you know young lady this this kind of behavior is never going to help you end up you know, on the right path. This is where if it was me, I would come along and go, young woman, nothing good happens after 10, uh, 10 p.m., okay? If it's 10 p.m., just go home. Just don't be on the road. Don't be on I-4. Don't be out. If it's 9.30, just look at your watch and, and hit the road. Like, if it's 9.15, get ready to look at your watch and hit the road, right? We're having that kind of conversation. That, that's, that's what she, I think, deserves in this moment. But Jesus doesn't give that to her. He says, I'm not going to condemn you here the only one who can throw stones is not going to throw stones and in addition he's going to withhold what he could do in that moment that's mercy but even if that moment of mercy Jesus does something very interesting Jesus doesn't just end at mercy and say have a nice life and walk away he doesn't just withhold the punishment he says something really interesting here in verse uh, at the very end of verse 11 he turns to her and says go and from now on sin no more go And from now on, sin no more. This is really interesting. Because it sounds like what Jesus is doing is lecturing her. But he's not lecturing right here. here. He's doing something different. He says, hey, let me give you some advice here. As you're walking away, go and stop sinning. You knew this was sin. You made a poor choice. I'm telling you, you have the power to not sin anymore. Go now. He's speaking a blessing on her. Uh, Go make disciples, right? This is what Jesus says. And now he said, like, go and stop sinning. Just sin no more. You have the power to do that. I am Jesus. I'm telling you, stop sinning. Why is Jesus giving her this advice? What's going on here? Is there some other approach we should know is taking place right here that Jesus is trying to make us aware of? And there is. There's something more going on and in fact in the rest of john's uh, the chapter here in john's gospel in chapter 8 jesus is going to do some teaching he's going to talk to the pharisees and in the beginning of of chapter 9 he's going to reintroduce this idea that he's held off intention. as you're reading john's gospel in chapter 8 you're kind of like going what's going on here why do you say that to this woman this is just there's intention jesus what's going on in beginning of chapter 9 he begins to answer that tension by telling a different story or by having john tell us a different story so if you've got your bibles flipped to john 9 and let's pick it up here with this story. As he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? So again, the disciples are thinking about retribution. I want you to catch that. There's a blind guy that comes by, and the first thought is, Oh, this blindness must be a consequence from something his parents did when they sinned. Parents sinned, and obviously if they sinned, God is going to bring retributive justice on this by having their baby born blind. You guys know this? Y'all ever seen this before? You know, you meet one of our friends who maybe has Down syndrome, or you meet one of our friends who's got some kind of delays, and at some point in your mind you're like, is this God, like, getting back at the family for kind of what went on like did they do something wrong to cause this and you're trying to think through and negotiate i I know it's terrible and some of you are like i can't believe people would think that hey we think this all the time jesus is speaking to our reality we think this stuff all the time right you know you see a kid who goes off to college and he's just going crazy and you knew he grew up in a christian home and everyone's going i bet those parents had issues right we think that because if the parents had issues obviously it's going to play out in how the kid. You know is involved in college Or the kid doesn't go off to college and just stays at home and Plays video games and you're like uh, I bet those parents were just some kind of terrible parents Right we think this all the time And Jesus knows we think this And he's addressing this right now This idea of retribution He says no 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 no, guys no no no, no, no you're getting it wrong And here's what he says um, Jesus answered in verse 3 It was not that this man sinned Or his parents Get that out of your mind guys But that the works of God might be displayed in him verse 4 we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day night is coming when no one can work as long as I'm in the world I am the light of the world and having said these things he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva you ever see 6th graders who are just discovering to make loogies for the first time that's basically what's going on here he's like (sighs) doing this thing and like you know does the stringy thing into the ground and like is playing with the mud you can tell the disciples are like we're trying to have a philosophical conversation about the cosmology of, uh, you know, people being born blind here, Jesus. We asked a pretty respectable legal question here. Why are you hawking a loogie into the ground right now? And, like, this is, like, again, this is the man who the guys come to him and with a woman. He's like, I'm going to draw on the dirt. And they're like, uh right very unorthodox guy here this jesus this god right and this is important because god's making sure to keep us on our toes he's always going to do something a little bit different than we understand we think we get god in a box and he's like no no box for you right so he spits in the ground and he makes the mud just like a little you know avocado mask with saliva and mud and then he anoints the man's eyes with the mud which is the cleanest way of saying he took a loogie mud pie and put it on his eyes right that's the kindest way of saying that, which is what he does. Can you imagine being blind and you're like, oh, cool, it's Jesus. Oh, that doesn't sound right. Well, hopefully that's the end of it, right? And then the mud is on the eyes and you're like, I guess we're doing this now. Okay, this is happening to me. If, as if being born blind wasn't enough, now you're spitting mud into my eyes. Thank you, king of the universe. That's awesome. Okay, in verse 7, Jesus said to him, go and wash of the pool of siloam which means sent jesus is now sending him to go do something he's commissioning him in this moment it's pretty pretty brilliant which means sent so he went and washed and he came back seeing so can you imagine this you hear this guy hock into the dirt he's playing around his disciples are having this esoteric conversation about the cosmology of sin and if it is affected uh, in terms of generations and generational procession and you're like, this is so weird. I live in the weirdest city in the world. And then, you know, the guy does the loogie mud mask, puts it on your eyes, and you're like, thank you. And he says, go wash in this pool, which again, he's blind, so it's not like he can just be like, oh, over here, let me walk, right? Obviously, someone has to help him, or someone guide him to this little situation. He's got to get in the water. This is a blind person who's never seen stuff before, and he gets in and washes, and then all of a sudden sees for the first time. Can you just imagine? This is like the Wizard of Oz on steroids, okay? You, you just get in the water and all of a sudden you're like, I'm trying to describe what is happening right now, but I believe it's called sight because I've never had this before. And that, ne- whoa, there's like, this is the the, the quintessential, I, I I, I can't even see the right things. Now I'm not only seeing the right, right things, I'm starting to see them rightly, and I'm getting reoriented to this world that I've always known is around me. Can you just imagine the joy that's going on in him as he's trying to figure out what's going on? And you've got to ask yourself, like, what do we make of this whole fascinating story of Jesus giving the gift of sight to this man who isn't someone who's necessarily deserving of it. He's just a guy who's kind of on the street while the disciples are passing by. What do we make of this? We, we make of the level Jesus wanted to get to. What he, I think, is going on with the woman who's caught in adultery. And it's this, this final term here. It's called grace. Grace, we'll set this up. Retribution is you get what you deserve. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. Grace flips the switch a little and says this. You get something that you don't deserve. You don't deserve it, and yet God gives it to you anyway. That's grace. Mercy God withholds something that you deserve, typically a punishment. Grace is he's blessing you when you know you don't deserve it at all. That man, born blind, he had uh, plenty of opportunities to live his life. He didn't necessarily deserve to be made well and to see. But Jesus decides to give it to him anyway. This is called grace. And it's a parallel story of what happens with this woman here. Because if you notice, Jesus is giving her something. He's giving her advice. He's not withholding something from her. He's not punishing her for what she's done. He's giving her something. He looks at her and says, my precious one, if you want to be well in this life, let me give you this gift of advice. He's having grace on her. Go and sin no more. And with this man, he says, my precious one, come here. I know you can't see. I know you don't deserve this. You didn't do anything to deserve this. It's not that you did anything bad. You just don't deserve it. I'm giving this to you. I'm giving you this gift of sight that you may see. It's this beautiful thing. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. And this is the approach of Christianity. This is the approach of Christianity. It's what makes Christianity uniquely different. Is that religion is really about man trying to do something to earn a relationship with God. And, you know, trying to kind of ask God to have mercy and spare them at all the time. You know, you mess up and you're like, God, please have mercy on me. Please have mercy. Please have mercy, right? This is religion christianity is god does something to bring you into a relationship with himself he graciously gives his son jesus to bring you into a relationship with himself when you don't deserve it he still blesses you and brings you in to a relationship with himself this is the good news of christianity and it clarifies jesus's ministry and it clarifies what his aim is for us and it gives us a really good picture of god's graciousness which is this final attribute we're looking at god's graciousness means this that god is the kind of god who gives to us when we don't deserve it and especially when what we deserve is something worse grace is the quality of god's character when he gives to us when we don't deserve it and especially when what we deserve is something worse that's what it means that god's gracious to us and Paul writes in, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that while we were still sinners, when, when we were still completely broken, God graciously gave us the gift of salvation. It's not by any, our works anything that we could have done to deserve it. It was just this gracious initiation of God. It was like we were drowning and God put us on the shore. And then said oh and just another thing i'm also going to allow you to fly right i mean it's just like oh like saving me was enough like i also get to fly like it's just this in extra ingratis kind of kind of thing that's going on here god is gracious he gives us what we don't deserve especially when we deserve something worse and if this is true if this is what god's relationship looks like if he's the kind of god who restores sight to the blind if he's the kind of God who gives this beautiful advice to a person who's struggling, then what then does that graciousness mean for us? If God's gracious to us, what does it look like for us as grace bearers, as grace receivers, to pass this on to others in our relationships? And I can think of three ways to make this practically applicable today. And the first one is this. One, that grace can mark our friendship culture. That grace, this idea that we give to people what they don't deserve— that it can mark our friendship culture. Are you guys familiar with the idea of the yes spiral? Okay, in relationships, specifically even in marriages, if you guys get there one day, you'll discover this, there, there's something called the yes spiral, and it's in contrast to the no spiral. See, like if I come home and uh, my wife is like, you know, she's got two kids and she's like struggling because like, You know, my son is, you know, jumping onto the floor and causing concussions in his head like he did Sunday. Or, you know, my daughter is whining because she doesn't like the gourmet meal my wife just cooked from scratch. Thank you very much. And I can just tell she's got the frazzled look on her. And she's like, hey, Doug, can you unload the dishwasher? I have two options. On the one hand, I can be like, "Uh, yes, my darling. The one who has birthed our children and makes our home so hospitable. Let me please, like a knight, rush over and slay this dragon of a dishwasher for you that I may provide for you, right? That would be a good thing, right? Or I could be a jerk and be like, nah, Ugh. I had a, listen, don't even start with me about your day. I had a long day. I had to sit in an office by myself where it was quiet and do work all day. I'm famished. I just got to go kick my feet up and drink a hot tea and just relax a little, right? And so here's the thing about the no spiral. When you say no to one thing, it becomes a lot easier to say no to another thing. So you're like, no, I'm not gonna do the dishes. And then later on, you're like... uh you know hey baby will you rub my shoulders and she's like no and like oh you're not rubbing my shoulders okay i'm gonna get you back and the next time she asks for me to do the dishes i'm like no and then she's like oh you uh you want me to go fill up the car with gas no and see we've gotten to this no spiral and it's just spiraling down and our relationship's now tense that's not a way you want to go and i'm not saying that's the way our relationship operates but i see lots of people especially people who by the very end of their relationship and they're talking divorce there's been a no spiral that's been going on over and over and over again Or say you guys have roommates, right, and you're just no-spiraling each other. And by the very end, when you finally have that conversation that says, I just don't think we can live together anymore at the end of our lease, man, we're going in different directions. Probably what has preceded this is a no-spiral. Or friendships who, now you've become frenemies. Probably what precedes becoming frenemies is this no-spiral. And what's happened is you've gotten to this really bad habit of retribution. If you say no to me, I'm going to say no to you, which is going to motivate me to say no and you to say no, and we're, right? But the, the best thing to do is to practice grace with your friends, right? You walk home, they say no to you, you go, you know what? I'm going to say yes to you next time. We're, we're going to practice the yes spiral because it's my desire that by demonstrating that I'm going to love you even when you don't deserve it and I'm going to do something for you even when— um, you know you may be in the tank with me you may be uh uh, just in debt to me i'm going to say yes to you because you never know what happens when you say yes they may be more motivated to say yes and say yes and say yes grace is the catalyst that starts a yes relationship grace is a catalyst that starts a yes relationship with your friends and in your relationships and so my encouragement would be to you to try to create and foster and cultivate this culture of grace in your friendships That no matter what your friends do to you, you are going to try to be the person who says in the beginning, wait, God loved me when I was unlovable, and he gave me Jesus when I deserved nothing of that. And so, therefore, I'm going to be the kind of friend who says yes, and who gives of myself and my time and my talents and my treasures to help my friends. If they need a ride to the airport, I'm going to try to say yes as best I can. If they need to borrow $5, I'm going to say yes. And I'm not going like, to keep a tab somewhere on a whiteboard that's like, okay, 5 That's that's 1000 at this point. Okay, you better pay up, right? right? I'm going to just say yes, and I'm going to love generously, and I'm going to be gracious to my friends. Why? Because God was gracious to me in the first place. So we create uh, a friendship culture that's marked by grace. Number two, the second way I think we can do this, is that grace can come in the form of advice. If I could give you an application, just realize that grace can come in the form of advice. What Jesus is doing to this woman is he's giving her grace as he's giving her this advice saying, go and sin no more. And I think in our culture, we're afraid to give advice because it sounds like we're being judgmental. But sometimes you have to, you know, y'all are all smart people. It's not like you can turn your judgment off. You know, if you see a friend, for example, who, uh, you know, you're out late at a party and they're drinking a lot. And they're like, you know what, I could call an Uber. Or I could grab my keys and get in behind a vehicle and get on the 408 and just drive. And you know they've had way too much to drink. Um, Here's what would be really ungracious and unloving of you. Great idea, right? Awesome, awesome idea. Could you also like maybe wear virtual reality on your your eyeballs as you drive? Uh, Could you do that at the same time while you drive? Because that seems like it's a great idea. Let's cheer you on, right? That's a terrible idea. You're being a crummy friend at that point here's how you become a gracious and loving friend you go bro bro i don't think this is a good idea let me drive you home let me pay for an uber can i can i help you out here don't drive drunk it's bad news it's risky it's not worth it that's not you being offensive that's you being a loving gracious friend giving advice is great if someone's having a bad day and they come to you like i'm having a bad day and you know the advice you need to give them that moment And the holy spirit motivates you to say something to them it would be unloving for you to just go nope not gonna say it don't want to offend them i want them to continue living their life going down that bad path i'm just not gonna say anything their destruction is at the end right okay but that's okay i'm not gonna say anything that's a mean person right that's a horribly unloving person grace for you is to go hey look can i just give you some advice here listen i'm in the same boat with you i make bad bad decisions all the time But here's what's really helped me, and I want to pass this along to you. Go and sin no more. Grace can come in the form of advice. And finally, grace is not opposed to healthy boundaries. Grace is not opposed to healthy boundaries. Um, Let's just put this in the form of dating, right? Okay, Uh, you know— You ask a guy out, you ask a girl out, they say yes, they say no, right? If they say no, they've kind of set that boundary there. And I see this happen all the time every week. Y'all are asking each other out, and some of y'all are saying yes, and some of you are saying no. And we're not going to have judgment right now where you look at the people who said no and just kind of give them the stink eye. you are like, (laughs) are you listening, right? We're not going to do that right now. Just be cool, college friends. But... um, what I see some of my Christian friends struggle with is they haven't gotten to the grace level. They still feel like they're at the mercy level, okay? And so a girl comes and says, hey, if you asked me to coffee, I would say yes. And you as the guy know, you don't want to date the girl. But you go, the Christian thing is to be religious and have mercy. So although you don't deserve, like, you, you don't deserve this, right? Like, what you deserve is for me to say no, but I'm going to withhold the no and say yes right now, right? And then you like go to the awkward coffee with them and you're like oh my gosh this is boring but you have to keep like the nice Christian face on while you're at coffee and then you take them home right guys and the girl's like I had a good time and she's like jingling her keys just like they teach us in hitch is the ultimate sign (laughs) that they want to kiss right and you're like oh okay I need to have mercy on this person what they deserve is for me to leave but what I should do here is kiss them right and this is how religious people think and this is how people get married, and they're like, how did I get married to this person? They said they wanted to get married, and I wanted to have mercy on them. I should have said no and run, but I felt like the merciful thing to do is to withhold my no and say yes, right? Listen, religion, religion, mercy, God, now God is a God of mercy. He is, I'm not saying that, but this religious way of just thinking through, this is not a good way of thinking about things. This is not good, Right? What God wants you to do is be gracious to people, and sometimes graciousness sets a boundary. Why? Because the other person is not getting something, and you need to help them get something, something social, and you need to set a boundary for them. You go, hey, listen, I like you. I really do as a friend. I like you. But it's not that you're, you've been friend-zoned, because there's no friend zone, right? I just, I like you as a brother or a sister in Christ. I'm not interested in a date right now, but I want you to know, I want to be friends with you. Healthy boundary. What are you telling them? I love you. And listen, this, listen, let me pause here. This is not a time where you're like, you go, you know what? You don't deserve me, but I'm going to agree to go out with you now. This is a misapplication of grace. This is not it, right? Here's what you say. You go, healthy boundary. I'm saying no, but this is not me rejecting you. You're a good person. I just think at the end of the day, the probability of us working out is not going to happen. I'm lovingly telling you now, you know what, next time I see you in life group or at Anthem or a master class, I'm going to be cool. I hope you'll be cool too. This is very gracious because you're... Helping this person learn to socialize in a, in a time of life when it's really awkward. Guys are putting their hearts on their sleeve. Girls are putting their hearts on their sleeve. And they're just not really sure how this is all going to work. So listen, the most loving thing you can do sometimes is set a boundary and explain the boundary and just be cool about that. that. They don't deserve the boundary. They don't deserve the explanation. But because you're a believer, you go, I'm setting a boundary here and saying no. And let me tell you why. And let me tell you how much I love you and appreciate and respect you. That's the best thing you can do. Sometimes, the most gracious thing you can do can be awkward. Okay? So don't avoid awkwardness. Our, our job as believers is not to avoid awkwardness. It's to say, this is what truth is, and I'm going to walk in it, and I want to encourage you to do the same. It's really interesting, if you keep reading on here, in verse 24 of chapter 9, uh, the man finally, like, he kind of, he's, he sees, and he's walking around town bumping into things because he doesn't know how to, like, you know navigate with sight he's never done this it's like when you get that first brand new car and it has the gps thing where you back up and you're like oh my gosh there's a camera on this thing like oh look i can back up forever right this is basically what's happening to him he's like i have a camera there are no more limits in life right he's you got two cameras right here he's walking around he's just having a good time right walking around jerusalem so the pharisees come up to him and they're like can you tell me what happened i need a full like it's a csi moment let's see what happened here okay we're bringing the court reporters over we're going to write this down what happened like give me the full recap and he's like listen There's a guy named Jesus, he hawked a loogie in the dirt, he rubbed it in my my eyes, he didn't ask me, he just did it, right? Okay, let's be clear, it was an act of grace, and then when he removed it, I could see. And they're like, okay, and so they go to the parents, they're like, is this guy in his right mind? Like, what did you guys see? Can you corroborate the situation? And they're like, listen, he's our grown son, like just, he's a grown man, listen to him, he knows what he's doing. Right, and so it gets through all the end of this, and finally at one point the guy's exasperated, and, and in verse 24, here's what he says, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him. They're, they're saying for a second time, let's go over this again, pal, from the beginning. Give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner, right? We know he's a sinner. We know he, he doesn't follow our law. He doesn't follow our commentary, all these Extra rules we've made up. He doesn't follow those rules. We don't like Jesus. We're looking for a way to crucify him. So just give us the information we need, pal, and let's move along and start this crucifixion process. And in verse 25, he says something really interesting. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. Right? Uh, The very end of this passage is the logical basis for this song that we sing all the time as believers. It's called Amazing. Yeah, because this is grace. God gives to us that which we don't deserve. And so as a response, we sing to him. We say, I once was blind, God, and now I see. I was lost, and now I'm found. I want to invite you to stand as we respond to this uh, teaching here in God's word.